Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to The Artist and the Salesman. How are y'all doing out there? This is your host Scott McDonald. Thank you for tuning in to episode 7 of the podcast. Today we have someone very, very special for you. Uh, his name is Roberto Vasquez, and he is a Teamster representative in the Hollywood industry, a proud member of the local 399 Teamsters Union. Uh, we're going to chat with old Roberto uh, about his life, which has just been uh, an adventure uh, spanning several countries and all kinds of mind-boggling scenarios to him being out here uh, in uh, Los Angeles in the United States and uh, finding his way into working in the Hollywood film industry and being a driver. So Roberto, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, this is our first in-person podcast since the cast has started. Everything else thus far has been done via Zoom uh, for COVID reasons and for availability. Uh, today's interview is coming to you from the cab of Roberto's five-ton truck here at work on a studio lot during our lunch break. So, Roberto, tell me, where are you from? Where were you born? I was born in Roatan, Honduras. Alright, for the folks that don't know out there, that is a beautiful island in the Caribbean Sea, just off the coast of Honduras. And it was uh, for a long time controlled by the British. It went by the name Rattan then. Uh, then uh, eventually it got under the control of the Honduras and uh, it became uh, what it is today. Um, so what was uh, what was life like on a beautiful uh, island in the Caribbean? Not so good. Not so good. Not so good. Everything was beautiful, but without money. So paradise so without money isn't necessarily paradise. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And you found yourself there until the, what? Roughly around what age? I was going from uh, Roatan to El Salvador. Uh, from my age, from between six to fourteen. Okay, and when you that takes us to something that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, when you were in El Salvador, you got uh, you got mixed up in the civil war that uh, began there in uh, roughly the late seventies, around seventy nine, and spanned through the eighties. Uh, you know, obviously, whatever you're comfortable speaking about there you were a young man and uh, was it just were you given the, the choice to participate or was it not so much a choice um, it was not so much a choice first of all I was only 15 it's very difficult to make uh, uh, choices at that age but uh, I got picked up at the age of 15 to join in the army and uh, and take an adventure and and then roughly how long did you spend uh, involved in, in that uh, civil war as a, essentially, a, not essentially, but a child soldier who was underage and fighting essentially against your will? From 1980 to 1984. Whew. Oh man. Yes sir, join in with 180 guys. And, and uh, you know, you showed me some photos of, of you during that time period and it looked uh, very organized, like they were, like you guys were being trained and whatnot, uh, and you were holding some some serious 
some serious firepower uh, there in those photos, and uh, that's just such a like, such an overwhelming thing to, to for such for someone so young to have to wrap their head around as their reality. I mean, when I was 15, I was worried about uh, trying to get a date with a girl, and you know using zip medicine on my face and trying to make it on a sports team or whatever not you know nothing like fighting for your life and fighting for the for the people was now for those out there who didn't really know what uh, that skirmish was about what was it the people of el salvador against the government or uh civil war civil war okay civil war, yes sir okay and was it still in the midst of everything going on when you when you left and, and came to america uh, yes, yeah, the war was still on. Uh, like I said, I joined in with 180. Four years later, when I left, we were only 21 alive. Jesus. That's why I decided to make the move to United States. Okay. And you were all, all alone, basically, at this point? Or did you come with any family? Uh, I came with my cousin. Okay. Uh, we both were 18 at the time. Right. Uh, and uh, we start walking using the plane and and the train and then the buses you know it took us uh 14 15 days to get just to tijuana Jeez. adventure that's that's incomprehensible that but i was ready no. i went to the army i got ready they, they prepared me for that for that adventure i was gonna say if anyone would be ready i mean you you survived the unthinkable for four years, I mean, those numbers you said, 180 down to 21, uh, that's, that's insane. I mean, that's, that goes beyond the concept of luck. That's, that's skill and that's uh, instincts and everything, you know, kept you, kept you on your toes. And yeah, all that translated into you being up for the adventure uh, to come to America. And that was probably, was, was that seemingly a little bit easier than, than what you dealt with previously? I mean, those, Obviously not easy is not the right word, but less scary maybe. I was ready for it. You were ready for it. I was ready for it. I was very young, but the, uh, I used to carry the whole world in my back, so I was ready for it. Well, there you go. You know, you mentioned when we were talking the other day at lunch that you guys had to make your own weapons at, at periods of time during that. There were times that we have to improvise our own weapons. Oh, jeez. Now. Expand on that. What do you mean? Like we're talking like like melee weapons, like things you'd hit people with, or things projectile weapons. Uh, projectile. We used to use uh, pipes. Oh. You know, and uh, fill it up with gunpowder. So very rudimentary. Oh, yes. Just like. Uh, oh wow, that's machetes. Incredible. Whatever we could. That's incredibly. Oh wow. Use to so, defend ourselves. Well, you know that's that's incredibly resourceful and innovative. That's, I mean, to say the very least, during your modern soldier. Uh, gets their training, gets their uh, issued equipment, uh, and and you guys were just uh, obviously were, were were there helmets and stuff like that? Yeah, or they were okay. Yes, I was some with the holes. Uh, some, oh, jeez. <laughs> but yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, there were helmets and available. We had medics of, available. And body know? armor of any kind? No, any vest? No. no vest. No, not at all. Jeez, not at all. Uh, actually, we used to pick up rocks. You know, we used to roll. Rocks and use when that they, as cover, basically oh yeah. mobile cover. Oh yeah, oh, or sometimes geez. we used to roll bodies. 
I, you know, I've, I've heard uh, difficult? I've heard veterans talking about the Korean War, where the similar scenarios were. Uh, were that used. was what uh, seventy years ago, and I'm talking about Na Jesus. Yeah, you're talking about <laughs> you know, twenty-five years ago. Yeah, you're talking about ago. when I was running around a, a little kid in uh, in San Jose uh, back in the '80s. That's where I was at. Uh, so you you and your cousin. You get out of there. Now, did he did he have to fight as well? Yes, he did. So, Jesus. Okay. So you guys get out of there. You take your basically your life on your back, as you said, and you make the uh, you make the adventure. You make the journey all the way to America by plane, train, automobile, the uh, the skinnier feet. Yeah, the bestia. That's how they call the train from Mexico that brings you all the way to. Well, to no, one. They uh, call it the beast. <laughs> the beast. Yeah. Well, I know why do they do that. Is it dangerous or just uh, big? And no, it's just dangerous. Oh lord, it's just dangerous. Oh man, so you you get to America via Tijuana. So you made your way up through uh, through San Diego and ended up in Los Angeles. Is that? Uh, yes, we crossed the desert. It took us uh, three days. Wow, man! And I found this Mexican actually who helped me out. You know, he went to the clinic and sold some of his blood to get some money wow. so I could get water and juice and get ready to, to cross the border. Well, isn't that something? That's And yes, that's sir. a stranger to you? Santos Jesus Javier, that is his name. <laughs> well, that guy, if you're out there listening, Santos, you uh, you you did a serious good deed because you, you, you kept an angel on his feet uh, and, and ready to uh, ready to rock with, uh, with our buddy Roberto here. Now, so you get to you get to Los Angeles eventually, and you experienced a period of homelessness. Yes. Were you? Did you guys have like an automobile to live out of, or were you just on the streets, or? Not at all. We came to a park on in Los Angeles, on San Pedro and uh, Martin Luther King. So there was a big park. Uh, we just lay down in there, and uh, we started from there. Okay. Okay. And uh, how long of a period of time, roughly, were you were you living on the streets when you got here? I was in the streets for like about three months. Oh. I, I've only experienced one night of sleeping on the streets when I got locked out of a youth hostel in uh, in Japan, and uh, that was uh, you know that was eye-opening enough. I can't imagine three months or any any amount of extended time like yeah, that. Yeah, but living in the street. Here in California, that's easy. There is food everywhere. A food everywhere. A little yeah, bit, I mean, little bit different yeah. than from what you came from. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, being homeless is not a big deal in here. It's just, it's just a matter of finding a job and take it from there. Take it from there. And so, you had that period of homelessness. Did you transition into any kind of like what kind of work did you end up finding? Uh, anything, anything fun or just menial stuff? From being police officer and being detective, I ended up being a dishwasher. A dishwasher. So wait, no, you were a, a police, uh, police back home, or yes. Okay, jeez, in 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 El Salvador. Absolutely. Oh man, and then you became a dishwasher. I here. became a dishwasher. Yes, sir. Oh lord, and uh, so you did that for a period of time, and then you found yourself. In the United States Army, yes, uh, and you ended up heading to a completely different war in a completely different country with a completely different set of reasons, and you fought in Desert Storm. 
1990. And I was the oldest one. When I joined in in El Salvador, when they picked me up, I was the youngest one. When I went to the army, I was the oldest one. Now, how is that for crazy? So, first the youngest, first the youngest soldier in one in one war in one army, and then the oldest to join in the next. Already 20, almost 25. Now, was <laughs> the experience obviously that you had previously uh, in the Civil War? How did that did that mesh in any way with? Uh, what you were doing in Desert Storm in terms of were you more prepared, a little less fearful of stuff, or was it just was it a completely different, you know, for lack of a better word, it was a different sandbox? It's very different. It's very different because uh, you have a lot of protection right here, United States Army. You have a lot of protection, and now over there is just a uh, God on your side. Just God on your side. And probably a lot more uh, improvisational tactics there. It's very sophisticated. Okay. Versus, yeah, versus here is just uh, so many layers of planning by so many different people, you know, and that information being passed down to this, this and that. What was, uh, what was the craziest thing you saw, you think, during that, uh, during that uh, deployment there in Desert Storm? Just something that was just made your mind think for a second, like, is, is this real? This is so unusual, or it could be graphic or funny or whatever. Just, mm, just like, it, whoa, you know? It was different because in El Salvador, it was man to man. You can actually see the guy that you're fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Desert Storm, you only push buttons. In Desert Storm, <laughs> you only push buttons. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, different it's, it's very different. To everyone, so it's much. It's less face to face, not yeah. seeing somebody in their mm. eyes more, but uh, you don't. Oh, wow. You don't see your enemy, you know. Your eye, you don't. Now, did the did the soldiers you fought with in Desert Storm were they aware of your experience, your previous experience, and and, and what did they think about that? Did they think it was uh, useful or? you know weird or cool or at the beginning they they didn't respect it they didn't care about it but when it came to reality uh, I had a lot of friends that actually uh, like to be on my side because I have the experience I felt safer uh, yeah. with you because I knew you you were gonna stay stay focused and cool under pressure yes hmm. so it was very different it was very different uh, I already knew how to be quiet. So that was that a big issue for some for some of those folks. Just yeah, just as simple as not talking. And uh, they they scream a lot you know. because it's so loud. It's so loud, and uh, some of the boys they get scared. You know, they of anything with no experience. You know, it's just hard. It's just hard. It's just, there is no mommy and daddy to to help you out. Mm -hmm. It's you yourself and Irene. Pretty much. Yes, sir. So, so you found, how long was your deployment uh, in Desert Storm? How long? I was there for 23 months. Okay, yes, geez. sir. So, and then after that, did, you served out the rest of your uh, time period back in the States? I was in Germany for uh, oh, some wow. time and then back to uh, Carolina, North Carolina. North Carolina, where I was born, Raleigh, North Carolina. So that's a, a fun little way to tie all that together. Yeah. Uh, so you finished your military service in what year? 94. 
1994. Did you come back to Los Angeles at that point? I came back to Los Angeles and I became a school bus driver. A school bus driver? I did yes, not sir. know this about you. Was this, uh, we talking elementary school kids? Are we talking high school kids? Uh, high school kids from Calabasas. Calabasas high school kids, okay. In the 90s, so were, were they listening to you or were they a bunch of little shits or? No, they were not listening. Nah. They actually wanted to fight me. Oh wow. <laughs> That would have been a that would have been a pretty serious mistake. That that had to make you smile. Some some little white kid from Calabasas trying to trying to get chesty with you. So you started driving school buses. What what a crazy transition from a, a life of a, of a of a soldier of a warrior to now you're driving children to school and. Uh, so the life of a bus driver, like I've I've always been quite curious. Actually, the first school bus driver I've spoke with, or former school bus driver rather, do you only have either a morning or an afternoon shift, or do you drop the kids off and then wait all day and then pick them back up? You drop them off, pick them up in the morning, take them to school, then you go back to your yard and you stay there. Then you go back in the afternoon to pick them up. So that's where all you bus drivers would go during the day to a bus driver yard. Yes. Is there stuff like ping pong and stuff for you to do there? Yes, a lot of ping pong. I figured. I figured. <laughs> yes. Anytime, anytime people who drive professionally have downtime, they like, they like to keep using their hands. It's, it's either a lot some of ping time. pong or some foosball. Huh, so, so there you go, yeah. listeners out there. That now you know uh, what your childhood bus driver did when you didn't see them. They just kind of went and hung out, maybe played some ping pong, or something, and then uh, came back and got you safely home. So did you transition directly from uh, school bus driving into full team string truck driving? Or how? I went to school and got my class A driver license and started going uh, cross country. Oh, driving big rigs cross yeah, country. 48 footers and 53 footers. Now at this mm -hmm. point, I, I failed to mention by the way, Roberto is uh, happily married with two children, two lovely daughters. Were you married at that point? Were they, or was your wife at home and you're driving all over? The, no. Okay. So you're still a little, you're a lone wolf in it still. Pretty much. When is it, is it lonely out there driving cross country, or were you just kind of more suited to it? Is it just you found it to be peaceful? I needed at that time. I needed to be alone to think all everything that I have done in my life and try to. Have have a little quiet for once, and then have control of your environment, your safe, uh, your safe zone. That was my little world right there, my cab, man. And okay. I feel so safe because everything depends on me. Yeah, exactly. Everything was in my hands. Exactly. You're you're uh, you're the engineer of that train. I was a capitan. El capitan. Yes, sir. So okay, so then you're so then you're driving loads back and forth across the country. At what point did you decide, hey, I just want to stay on the West Coast? Or did you did you live did you live other places during that time period? California only. Always California. Thanks to a highway patrol. Thanks to the highway patrol. Over at Demin uh, scale by uh, uh, up to Oregon on the, on the ten, no, on freeway ten by uh, Palm Springs. Okay. I was going through the scale when the police they pulled me aside because one of my wheel was missing a chunk. So he pulled me aside and asked me for my driver license, my medical certificate. When I gave it to him, he goes, do you know why I'm gonna give you a ticket? I said, no, sir. He goes, look at your wheel, look at your tires, you're missing a chunk. And I said, that's a fixing ticket. 
He goes, yeah. When he was gonna give me the ticket, a studio services truck, all trucks were going on the scale. And he goes, son, today is your lucky day. Here's your documents, continue on. That never happens in my life. So I asked him, officer, may I ask you why is my lucky day? He goes, sure, you see those guys going on my scale, the studio services? I say, yes, sir, what about it? They're Teamsters, and they make two to $3,000 a week. And I hit him all, and I'm gonna fuck him all. Oh, wow. And so he, he kind of, he had it out for those guys just because they made a good living as Teamsters? Yes, yeah, so I told him, so how do I become one of those Teamsters? <laughs> and he goes, what, you want me to hit you? I said, it doesn't matter with $2,000 in my pocket, please hit me. <laughs> yeah, you're willing to cut out a little of that if it means making that kind of regular money. So basically, on the the bragging of essentially a, a corrupt uh, highway patrol <laughs> member that was admitting to you that he wanted he was going to shake down people who made more money than you uh, on that that sparked the decision hey I want to be a teamster in studio services in Hollywood yeah he told me fill up your application where are you going he goes and I said I'm going to Florida and he goes fill up your application in Florida Universal Studios fill it up and you take it from there. So I filled up my application. Uh, two weeks later, I, I was back in Los Angeles when Universal Studios called me. Mr. Vasquez, did you fill up an application? I should did in Florida. Would you like to train? And, and so, and hell That's, yeah. That was the beginning of my career. That was the day you, you hung up your, your spurs as a long haul trucker and went to- As a warrior. And went as a warrior, you'd, 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 you'd You'd put your gun down as a, as a school bus driver. You'd you'd put that you'd put that aside. Now you're putting aside the long haul lifestyle because uh, the the lure of uh, of some some regular nice uh, nice work with really nice pay and it turns out really cool people. Uh, so you guys, Universal, because if you're filling out the application in, in Florida, Universal Studios out there, you get a call from Universal Studios LA, hey, you want to train with us? Uh, so this was then, what, the late 90s? Or 96. 96. 95. Okay. 95. So when I was graduating from high school, this life-changing event was occurring in, uh, for Roberto. Um, was this then, since you already knew how to... Uh, to drive big air trucks, what was the training about? Was it about uh, just studio etiquette type shit, or like what? Because I mean, like a five ton, it's no, no nothing to you. Uh, was training to drive a, a train? Oh, the train, like a tram the, thing. The tram inside the park. Oh, okay. With, uh, Pulling yeah. four cars with 166 passengers, which is uh, which is a big deal. Like it's it can be dangerous. I've heard stories of people getting injured on those because the, if the driver isn't uh, doing it correctly, that is correct. And, and I've heard for those folks out there, this is a a tip from from me that I got from an inside source, uh, not Roberto, but someone who works at Universal told me that you don't want to sit in the last two rows of the last car on the tour because that is where most injuries occur. Uh, I don't want to get sued by Universal, so that's all I'll say, but if you can avoid it or get on the next tram, just don't sit in those last two rows, people. Okay, so uh, Roberto, now you're driving the, the tram, you're, uh, you're seeing all the, the goofy tourists and all that. 
uh, every day that's got to be a little mind-numbing after a while how, how do you transition from being on the universal payroll in the theme park to then being a studio truck driver for as you are now for for television shows for films for whatever it's the same uh, local local 399 is the same and okay uh, it's the same union it's all right. the same union all right and so did you just I'd say like hey I kind of I kind of don't want to do this tram thing anymore uh, um, I was pretty much forced oh. to leave uh, Universal Studios. Forced to leave? I was pretty much forced to leave Universal Studios after being fired 25 times. 25 times? 25 times. For what kind of, if you can speak about it or if this is an ongoing thing with Universal, was it just weird little infractions or, or you know? Uh, having a long hair and not ah. being blonde. Ah, uh, I see, I see, okay. Uh, after I cut my hair, I came with a flat top just like a soldier. And uh, according to them, I look like Mexican. Mexican smell like shit. And uh, I got fired. For those reasons. For Well, Universal was a much different <laughs> place back in the late 90s, folks, because uh, just even joking about what he said uh, was just said to him, in, in an honest fashion back then, even joking about that now would get you kicked off the lot. So thankfully, uh, the last 20 years, people have gotten their heads out of their asses over there and that kind of behavior, although probably still exists, let's be honest, uh, is not tolerated and does come with some kind of, uh, some kind of a punishment, thankfully, for people who, uh, who choose to, to talk to people in that kind of manner. Uh, Certainly not something that we're okay with over here at uh, HBO. We're working uh, for HBO, uh, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers, you know, I don't know if you ever worked for them, but I haven't heard uh, heard any anything disparaging about that lovely company. They uh, they're they're great to us here on the on the program that we're working on currently, uh, a television program called Insecure. It's on HBO. It's a half hour comedy dramedy uh it's in its fifth and final season uh it's a terrific terrific show a lot of focus on los angeles subcultures and and fantastic locations all shot here in los angeles and uh just a lot of fun it's gonna be sad to see it go uh but uh pretty sure all seasons are available to watch currently on hbo max with the exception of season five which we are still in production of um, something crazy, I, two, two crazy things I had to ask you about. One, and I might be asking this out of uh, sequence in terms of time, but uh, the year 2017, you find yourself uh, on a pleasant little uh, day trip on a friend's uh, Cessna, a little, little flight. Uh, what, what, what goes wrong there? What happens there? Oh god, yeah, taking the little Cessna double engine. Uh, seven of us was heading from my main line to Roatan. Oh, okay, so seven folks in a in a twin-engine Cessna heading from the mainland uh, Honduras to to Roatan, and 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 what happens? When do you know that the things are not going to be three miles point one before landing? They told us to prepare for emergency landing. Oh no! Uh, unfortunately, we didn't make it to the ramp. We hit the water. 
Oh, so a, a water landing in a in a twin-engine Cessna off the coast of uh, an island in the Caribbean Sea. Uh, you injured. What was your injuries? I lost two wisdom tooth. This located my shoulder, and this located my leg, my right leg. So a leg and shoulder dislocation, and the loss of some teeth. Was there any loss of life in that crash? Yes, three ladies uh, died. Oh. They pulled the seat belt right before we hit the water, so their bodies went from one end to another. Oh no. And that's how they die. So always, always uh, stay seated and buckled up till, uh, till until everything stops, stops moving. Until uh, completely folks. stop. So you get out of the plane that I'm assuming is now sinking into the ocean and have to then swim for shore or does a boat come along? No, or? no, we swim to shore. You know, well, we swim to and you shore. have a dislocated leg and shoulder. Yeah, you don't feel, you don't, you, you don't feel none of those things, man. Because you're so, so the adrenaline is just yes, going insane so, at that point. So we swim to shore, lay down, uh, a few minutes later we got up. And they start counting, and we saw that we three ladies missing. Oh my gosh! Went back to the plane, got the bodies. Oh man! Bring it to shore, and so I, you swam back out and went down to the plane and got them out of it. Gee, yes, we did. Brought the bodies out, and uh, I passed out for three months. In coma, three months in coma. Three months in a coma. You come out of it. Your leg and, and shoulder are better. Your the other three people that did survive are they still in uh, rec they're recovering as well they're in the hospital there's they're doing much better doing much they're better doing much better my problem is that i ended up having uh, a neuropathy and i have no circulation going through ah. so they wanted to amputate my legs that's what they want they wanted to amputate due to uh, the the lack of blood flow yes and uh Obviously, I'm looking right now. You can't, viewers, you can't see, but he's got uh, two very functioning legs. I've seen the guy run around before. So, how did you beat that uh, medical diagnosis? Uh, I left the island and I came back to United States, and uh, right here in California, that's where I started my process. So, a different, a different medical system. Did they give you a better prognosis out here, or were they also of the mindset that you were going to lose your they leg? They wanted to amputate my right toe. Just your right toe. Just okay. My right toe, and uh, I told the doctor that I was just a different kind of breed that I was gonna take it on my own, disintoxicate my body, and I'll see you in a, month, a year and a half. So you then finished your physical rehab on your own, uh, and. As far as I know, I haven't seen you. Oh no, I have seen. I guess I have seen this guy barefoot before. You do have all of your toes, and they look like totally normal feet. I do, but you know, uh, when I was in a lot of pain, I actually call uh, Oregon because Oregon is the only state in United States they will help you to end your life if you can prove your medical issues. Kevorkian, yeah, Doctor Kevorkian. <laughs> I uh, I went to uh, I went to all through high school and college in in Oregon, and my sister, my older sister, lives up there. And I remember that, uh, that weirdly uh, in the 90s we became famous as a state for, for that very reason. It was so peculiar, but yet at the same time, uh, I mean, very necessary. I mean, people should have the right to determine that. And rather than do it, uh, you know, if, that, if the circumstances is, is medically based, if it's, a, if it's a alleviation of pain and suffering, um, 
then yeah, I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be a medical option versus people having to uh, act as if it's a shameful act and do it in such a way that could be dangerous or non-effective or both. Um, so yeah, so you actually considered that at one point it was. I actually call. So I call and I and I ask how much is it, and they told me 150 dollars. When I told my wife, she was in shock, and she's like, "What? You went through civil war? You went to desert storm? You went through all this, and now you're gonna end up your life?" She goes, "No, I'm not gonna let you do that. I'm just gonna throw your ass at the gym, and you start from there." So your lovely wife says. You're tougher than this, Roberto. You get out there and you fucking beat this. And so you started rehabbing at the gym. At the gym. You pushed through the pain. Do you still have residual pain here and there at all from it? Just here and there? Okay. I do. But considering you were in a fucking plane crash that, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately some people didn't walk away from, that that's just... It's the, again, I hate to say luck because at a certain point luck doesn't really describe uh, someone's ability to uh, narrowly escape what would potentially be life-ending scenarios, but you live as a child soldier through a civil war, you then fight in a different war for the U.S. Army, uh, then you're involved in that plane crash it's just staggering clearly you're here for a reason clearly the world needs Roberto Vasquez uh, I consider you a great friend and I, I want to become a closer friend uh, to you uh, you know you get that feeling sometimes when you meet people that uh, uh, you just have a sense about them uh, you know, but at first I'm thinking oh he's this guy's just chill I like being on, on the truck with Roberto he's a hard worker relaxed guy he likes good music then we get to talking about stuff and I realize wow this guy has got more layers than an onion you peel away one you find another you peel away another you find another uh, and uh, I have I have a feeling that there is dozens more layers uh, to you that I have uh, not even uh, gotten close to finding my man um, so Probably, uh, probably just want to touch surface here on uh, your favorite thing about being a teamster. What, what is it that the you, you control you, you the, the truck is your ship? You're the captain, captain of the ship, or what? Do you, what, what appeals to you about it specifically? It's like being in war. I probably don't like everybody, but we have a mission to complete, and we have to get it done. Somehow, right. at the end of the day. All right. I, uh, you know, I've I've worked with a few uh, art department folk, specifically that were f former military, that have the same mindset that have explained to me that this job makes sense. It fits uh, the skill set, the mindset of here's your mission, here's your team. You gotta, you know, X Y Z is how you're meant to accomplish it. Uh, and you push through to do that until you get your next mission and you move on and just this the structuring of it uh, from what I've been uh, From what I've been told from 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 folks that work in the business or former military It that just it's a more comforting structure that they tried other lines of work and it just the 
the repetition, the ultra repetition regularity of a cubicle work or anything like that was just mind numbing. Whereas this seems always different, always changing. Your teams are different, your locations are different, but it always has the feel essentially of a mission uh, to accomplish. You have to be prepared. Yes, preparedness is key. The, the, the rule of the seven P's, right? The proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Yes, sir. So yeah, you know, but then there's the school of thought. People say a list of, a list is just a, uh, uh, I get that quote wrong, dang it. I was on a roll there. Uh, a list is just something about things that never, get, our plan is a list of things that never get done or something like that. I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I think that uh, planning is essential. When, when you're working with a group uh, in this business that uh, is, is like-minded and, and knows how to logically approach, uh, you know, like what we call a mission, a set, you know, to, to dress a set, to, to, to wrap a set, to uh, transport a bunch of stuff from A to B. You have to look at the logistics of it. You got to plan it out. You got to put together the appropriate team with the appropriate skills to accomplish it uh, safe, clean, fast. So yeah, yeah. that 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 Fr makes friendship. Friendship and yes, friendship. The friendships that you get you out. You got to work together. Exactly the synergy of working together. This is not a solo person's game. There are roles in this industry. If there are people who are, are aren't people. Pe people persons uh, there are definitely roles that can be filled uh, but this is not one of them a teamster has to uh, has to interact with all kinds of people pleasant people very unpleasant people uh, there's tons of rules and regulations you that you guys have to keep track of every every mile you cover on the road uh, when they're when you're taking breaks right you, you guys have to fill out these log books right yes we do and if I'm not, you you tell me if I'm correct on this. Now, for for long haul truckers and stuff, a lot of that is done in a computer controlled manner. Now, the trucks themselves keep track of how how far the driver's gone, when they're taking a break, uh, just you know this and that. Whereas Hollywood studio services industry got some kind of a reprieve from that or a, a delay of that taking effect for a few years so you guys are still filling out the paper ones we're still doing it and have you heard any any murmurs any rumors or side talk or whatever about uh eventually there being like computers in these trucks that that keep track of all that crap no not yet yeah guys i don't see how they would be able to do that the uh in order to get the the work output that they want out of you guys in the time periods that they do uh, you know, it seems like there's an awful lot of points where you have to be technically off the clock for your mandatory breaks and everything because the drivers have to be ultra alert and, and rested up uh, as much as possible uh, because of, you know, the safety obviously of everyone on the road and the safety of the team on the truck with them and the safety of the load that they're hauling because at any given time they're hauling uh, valuable, valuable stuff that, you know, it's, you know, moving trucks worth of valuable stuff every single day. Uh, well, I think uh, Roberto and I are coming to the end of our lunch break here and uh, probably going to have to get back to hustle and bustle here over on the show. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Vasquez and uh, uh, shout out to his 
his lovely wife and two daughters, 13 and 17 year old awesome gals. And uh, I personally want to thank you for your service, uh, both to the United States Army in, in, in uh, efforts of, of peace, as well as uh, thank you for your friendship and your awesome uh, work as a 399 driver. I mean, in, in 20 plus years of doing this, uh, I've come across plenty of folks in your line of work that are not very pleasant, that, uh, you know, just, you, you're stuck on a truck with them or on a job with them, and uh, it, it just makes things challenging to, to, to make it uh, brief. Um, you agree, and sometimes you're stuck, uh, you know, with people that totally. aren't so I fun. Agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Very Thank you. Thank it. you. Yes, everyone out there. Uh, this has been Roberto Vasquez, uh, warrior, driver of many vehicles, far and wide, as well as ultra-charming and amazingly funny dude. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll hit you up soon with episode 8. Try to do something of purpose and significance today, and be kind. Take care, folks. Ciao.